0: good morning and a very happy monday to you hope you had a great gathering yesterday on the lord's day and uh, it's always so important for us to fellowship whenever we can in these dark times just to grow closer together to walk with the lord together to open his word and worship together hopefully you had a great day with your uh in your various fellowships i know i really loved being with our people yesterday and um, but this morning i wanted to go ahead and answer a question that came in from curtis via email and uh, Curtis is asking about the Third Temple. Do we see this as a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it's it's a bit of a mixed answer to that question, actually. But uh, before I get to that, let me talk about what we're even talking about when it comes to a Third Temple. For any who may not be familiar what this discussion is about, uh, the Temple, or the Tabernacle as it was first designed by God, uh, in the Old Testament, in the Book of Exodus, we see uh, in, um, um, in the instructions that God gave Moses he not only gave him the commandments but he actually also gave him as Chuck Misler used to always uh, sort of uh, tongue-in-cheek say he also brought down a set of blueprints um, and this uh, set of blueprints was for a structure that would be a portable structure uh, that would be used by Israel as a center for worship and really at the center of the camp uh, throughout their wilderness wanderings. As a matter of fact, this uh, structure would stand as their center of, uh, of, of of their community and their religious life until the time that Solomon would go on to build the temple. Uh, just by way of a brief bit of history, the tabernacle that was ultimately constructed uh, was uh, designed specifically by the Lord and in itself it's a fascinating study where there's a lot of typology um, in, the, in the structure itself uh, from um, the brass sockets that the posts that upheld the, uh, the curtains and everything we're in and all of these things, the Holy of Holies, all these different things that uh, are elements of that structure in the tabernacle all have wonderful symbolic connection to the person and work of Christ. And so it's a fascinating study in itself uh, and one worth engaging in at some point in your, in your, uh, in your devotional life. But uh, anyway, so this tabernacle also became known as the tent of meeting. Uh, there is a wonderful connection, by the way, with this idea of the tabernacle, this tent of meeting, and the way John describes the word becoming flesh and dwelling or tabernacling among us. Uh, there's a great bit of insight involved in that idea, and God's desire to meet with man, even though man is oftentimes in rebellion, well, it really is uh, laden in rebellion against God but it is God who seeks to meet with man. Uh, Is it Michelangelo who painted that famous painting of the finger of God where uh, God is reaching down to man and God is extending his hand, whereas man is sort of casually holding his finger up like he's uh, not as interested in this meeting as God is. It paints a beautiful picture of the uh, fallen condition of man, but the desire of God to reconcile that relationship. It is always God who is the great initiator. So anyway, not to get too far off the immediate subject, um, under uh, when the time of David came, David was looking out of his own house and saw the tabernacle that at this point had been around for many, many years and had been um, settled in in, a, in the location it was in now for some time. And David saw this the structure there. And of course, David had a heart of worship. David loved the Lord, a man after God's own heart, in spite of his obvious and epic failings. Uh, David was a man after God's own heart, and he was a worshiper at heart. The Psalms, uh, so many of the Psalms, almost all of them, uh, the majority of them, penned by David, and, uh, and so rich in, in human experience in relation with God. And that, and uh, um, It just demonstrates this heart of love that he had for the Lord and trust, uh, bearing his heart and such. So this is a man who loved God. And he saw the tabernacle, and he thought, you know, how is it that I'm living in this this house lined with cedar and this beautiful sort of ornate place, but God is dwelling in a tent. And so he sets himself to start... Um, uh, to, he wants to build a, a house, a more permanent structure for the Lord. And uh, Nathan, who uh, is a prophet and who is a close friend, David tells this to Nathan. Nathan encourages him to do all that is in his heart. But God comes back to Nathan and says, go tell David that uh, that he's got too much blood on his hands. He can't build me a house but I will build him a house. And he begins to lay out this wonderful response to David's love for him, and and God then tells David how he's going to actually build him a house, by which he means he's going to build a lineage that will lead ultimately to Messiah. However, Solomon, David's son, would then go on to uh, build the temple. Uh, David would put together the elements and get so much of the materials together for him, but Solomon would ultimately be the one who would build it. And when Solomon's temple is built, it's beautiful, it's epic. uh, It is absolutely awesome. Uh, But the most awesome thing about it is during the time when Solomon is dedicating the temple to the Lord, claiming that as beautiful as this house is, it is nothing compared to what it would take to hold your glory. Certainly this house is inadequate to hold your glory. And as he's speaking, the glory of the Lord comes upon the place, fills it with smoke where people couldn't even see each other. Uh, so dense was the smoke of God's glory filling the place, and from that point on, for a number of years, the the glory of God dwelt in the holy of holies in that temple, as uh, as it had dwelt over in the Shekinah glory over the tabernacle uh, previously. And so, um, however, Solomon's temple would eventually be destroyed uh, during the time you know, at the time of the Babylonian captivity. The temple would be destroyed. Israel had already been taken captive. Judah was now taken captive. And so for 70 years, uh, there was the temple didn't exist. It was destroyed. And so while the people were in captivity, there was these uh, prophets that God had sent to the people, um, uh, Ezekiel and Daniel being among them. But Ezekiel uh, is given this tremendous vision of, uh, of a temple that would be yet future and was given to Ezekiel to tell the people about it. To encourage them and help them to know that God was not done with them, but in fact they would one day uh, build a temple that would be glorious and, and, uh, and, and God would dwell in it and all of this. Now the glory of the Lord had departed from Solomon's temple much earlier. Uh, Ezekiel actually gives testimony to this as well earlier in chapter Uh, Is it 8 or 10 of Ezekiel, I think, where it describes the glory of the Lord departing from uh, the temple as the priesthood had fallen into such uh, epic, I'm using that word a lot today, epic uh, rebellion and sin in their hearts and such. Well, Ezekiel's given this glorious vision in chapters 40 through 48 of a future temple, uh, certainly future from that time, and the question remains, is this, you know, to me it's not much of a question. I think he's actually describing the millennial temple that will one day be built during the time after Christ returns to establish his kingdom. However, this message is given to God's chosen people, Israel, so they might be encouraged to know that the Lord is going to continue to work through them and there'd be this glorious temple built one day. Well, when Cyrus releases uh, uh, Judah, Israel had gone into captivity to the Assyrians and they essentially sort of were absorbed into the culture then, but the two tribes of Judah had been taken to Babylon and those two tribes are brought back, and they, uh, as they come back under Ezra and Nehemiah, the, the rebuilding of the temple and of Jerusalem goes underway. But it falls into disrepair. Uh, it, it never, it, it, the work stops. And Haggai confronts the people on behalf of the Lord. He brings a word from the Lord and says to consider your ways. How is it that you're investing in your own lives and building yourselves houses and just forgetting about building the Lord's house? It was an indictment on the condition of their hearts. And so they took that rebuke very quickly and they began to get back to work on it. Uh, Zechariah also encourages them and speaks of the glory of the temple. Now what's fascinating about this is that Zechariah is encouraging them as Haggai was to finish the work of the temple that they were building right then. Uh, Haggai, in one passage in chapter 2, talks about how the glory of this temple that they're building would even surpass the glory of Solomon's temple, which was quite an impressive thing to say. Uh, As a matter of fact, in Ezra chapter 5, I think it was, uh, it tells us that as the temple was nearing completion, uh, or was underway, uh, the foundations had been laid, the work was underway, the old men who remembered seeing the previous temple, Solomon's temple, wept aloud because this temple was so less significant than Solomon's. But the young men were all excited and and, and praising the Lord and you couldn't tell the difference between the the crying out in anguish and the uh, you know disappointment and those who were uh, excited and so um, but uh, anyway so this temple ultimately gets finished and the reason why this temple would become Uh, would be described as being of even greater glory than the original one or the first one was because messiah christ would ultimately dwell in those courtyards and would teach in that area now this would be the temple standing when christ returned albeit it would be the temple that herod would build upon and so this temple under haggai and Zechariah ultimately becomes known better as herod's temple because herod builds upon this temple And so that is what's known as the second temple. Uh, When this temple under Haggai and Zechariah is built uh, after the the return from exile, this becomes known as the second temple period. This period covers the time uh, between that period of time all the way up until 70 AD, when the temple is then destroyed under Titus Vespasian and the two Roman legions he commanded to come in and sack Jerusalem. Uh, And this then uh, um, ultimately finalizes what had uh, become the diaspora, the the, uh, dispersing of Israel from the land, uh, where they would remain in dispersion until 1948, when they would come back into the land in fulfillment of prophecies in Hosea and Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah 1111, things like this. And so there is now discussion, because of what the scriptures say, not just because of the excitement in Jerusalem, uh, in Israel about building a third temple, but the Bible itself describes a third temple, and I would argue a fourth temple as well, as we've already begun to allude to a little bit. But the Bible describes a third temple that will be standing uh, at the time when the last seven-year period of time in Earth's history where man will have dominion. A period of time known as Jacob's trouble, a period of time known as the tribulation, a period of time uh, known as Daniel's 70th week, which you can read about in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, and the events of which you can read about in Revelation 6 through chapter 19, verse 11, when Christ returns. Uh, You can also read about details of it in places like Matthew 24, very briefly, or in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is where we gain insight about a a period of time when another temple will be built. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, there is description of this man coming who would sign a peace covenant with the many, among whom would certainly be Israel because what is central to that mention is the fact that he will cause the offerings and sacrifices to cease. What that means is there has to be a temple in which there are sacrifices and offerings. This same temple that is alluded to in Daniel, that is hinted at in Daniel, uh, is actually spoken of in even greater detail in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, when Paul talks about the man of sin, the son of perdition, who will go into the temple of God and declare himself to be God, and demand to be worshipped above all that is called God. This is, uh, this is in connection with Daniel 9.27, where he causes the sacrifices and offerings to cease, because he will demand to be worshipped as God. Well, these two passages, and in concert with Matthew, with, uh, Matthew 24, verse 15, where Jesus talks about uh, when the time comes and you see the abomination of desolation uh, standing in the holy place, as Daniel the prophet spoke of, uh, then flee from Jerusalem in that. Don't look back. Don't grab your clothes. Don't, you know, just run. Flee for your lives. So this is what happens in the midst of the tribulation period, in the middle of Daniel's 70th week, this takes place, as it says in Daniel nine twenty-seven, uh, as, it, as it seems to describe in Revelation verse uh, uh, eleven and twelve, uh, and then into thirteen. Um, in Revelation thirteen, we see that the abomination of desolation is actually a statue that uh, that the uh, that the Antichrist or the Beast uh, is has built in his honor under the uh, under the leadership of what is known as the false prophet or the second Beast. Again, spoken of in Revelation thirteen. Uh, read the entire chapter and you'll see the first half speaks of the beast and how he sort of rises to prominence having even supernatural ability and then his partner the false prophet the second beast who works alongside of him also demonstrating supernatural power even breathing life into this image that will cause the world to worship and take the mark of the beast. Again read the chapter for yourself and read it in concert with 2 Thessalonians 2 Daniel 9 27 Matthew 24 15. Uh, and and, uh, and other related passages that you know, will be cross-referenced as you read those passages but those are the primary that help us paint a pretty solid picture of this. So there is no temple right now however that description tells us that there will be a temple where those things will take place and it is in that temple that the, the Antichrist will, will enthrone himself and demand to be worshipped very much very much like the Caesars uh, in Roman history. Um, So, that being said, and to answer a couple of questions that some watching may be raising, well, how do we know that that didn't happen under Antiochus Epiphanes in 165 BC when he came in and he slaughtered a pig on the altar and all this kind of a thing, set up a statue to Saturn, uh, Saturnalia, and all this kind of stuff that takes place in the temple under uh, Antiochus Epiphanes? Uh, Well, we know that's not it because when Jesus talked about it uh, more than 165 years later, Um, he was talking about these events taking place in the future so that rules out Antiochus Epiphanes because that happened prior to Jesus words and Paul's words and John's words how do we know it wasn't Titus Vespasian in 70 AD when he destroyed the temple how do we know that this was not the abomination of desolation that they they marched in with Roman standards and that kind of thing well because there was no holy place where this took place and because they destroyed the temple it was destroyed during that period of time Uh, and so therefore there was no abomination of desolation set up in there. There was no going in inside of the holy uh, place and declaring himself to be God and demanding to be worshipped of all that is called God. The description does not fit and so therefore we know that's not the event that, that was being described. That being said, because that's true, because we hold that to be true, we are waiting for this now third temple to be built that will ultimately be the place where those things happen. So, uh, and then when I mention the fourth temple later, I would argue, uh, even though the scripture is not, comp- it doesn't specifically say this. As a caveat, I'll say that. But the temple that is described in the area and the proper, excuse me, the land, the property that it's built on, all the description of that, um, it's far grander and really doesn't fit uh, the second temple that was built or even in its building upon by Herod, it still doesn't quite fit. And so uh, Ezekiel's temple, I would argue, is describing a fourth temple that is built during the millennium. I don't think that the temple uh, that we've been describing during the time of Antichrist is going to be the temple standing during the millennium. I think that that temple will be destroyed um, uh, and, or at least set aside. This will not be the temple that ultimately is uh, the millennial temple. Um, so I think that a fourth will be built as, uh, as that one that Christ will rule and reign from. Um, but um, in Jerusalem during that time where Christ reigns. So now what about this third temple? Uh, Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? Well, on the one hand, it's a very bad thing because to build a third temple and to reinstitute sacrifices as Israel will is going to be in unbelief of Christ. They're not building this third temple in memorial of Christ, as I tend to think the millennial temple will be. When you read about the priesthood and sacrifices and offerings in the millennial temple, that sounds like a strange concept. And so I think that probably what is in view there is it becomes sort of a memorial and a teaching tool to sort of demonstrate how all these things before pointed to Christ, who ultimately was, as John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There is no longer um, a need for sacrifices because Christ has come to fulfill those things. And so I think the Millennial Temple will present those things as a memorial, sort of as a reminder, as a teaching tool, but not as an efficate Uh, thing for efficacy of taking away sin in any way that's already been done in Christ and those uh, Jews alive at that time who are worshiping Messiah during that time will know that so they won't be offering uh, for covering of sin anymore so but in the third temple the temple during Antichrist that will be what they're doing they're going to be offering sacrifices uh, much the same way they did in the uh, during the time of the tabernacle in the first temple and the second temple and so the third temple is going to be a place where it is built in unbelief. Uh, and so I think in that regard, it's a very bad thing because it is a, it is a it actually turns out to be a slap in the face uh, at what God has accomplished in his son that they have at that point will still be living in, in unbelief and rejection of this. So on that side of things, it's a very bad thing. On the other hand, from a prophetic standpoint and and the fact that this is a step toward the fulfilling of of all that the scriptures have to say in bringing human history to a close in the return of Christ, it is something we look forward to with great anticipation. This again is as I, I, I tend to say, I often say, there's a tension that Christians live in when it comes to biblical prophecy because on the one hand we are very excited at the prospect of biblical prophecy being fulfilled. On the other hand, it brings with it a lot of really bad news, a lot of terrible turmoil and stuff that will be going on as that is unfolding. And So we don't relish in the judgment and the destruction that comes as a result of man's rebellion against God and him finally dealing with that. But we do recognize that it does become a harbinger of things to come. It becomes a uh, uh, sign of where we are and and how close we are as a matter of fact during that period of time you'll count the days uh, until the return of christ when antichrist signs that covenant there are seven years left before jesus returns Uh, there is three and a half years until that temple is ultimately desecrated in the abomination of desolation there's there's all these things that you just immediately will know are going to be happening for those who are around at that time Uh, i believe the church will be raptured prior to that So this is an important thing for us to be watching the development of, even though um, I don't know that we'll see the beginning of that construction in our lifetime, uh, because I think it probably will be in concert with the treaty that Antichrist will sign. Uh, It could be different, but, but I think that that will be part of it. So anyway, so on the one hand, it's very bad because it's gonna be built in unbelief. On the other hand, it is a good indicator of where we are and what's gonna be coming uh, shortly thereafter and so we want to pay attention to that and recognize what this all means uh chuck smith the founder of the churches that, that i belong to at calvary chapel uh, as i understand he had made the offer uh you know to those involved that when the time came and they wanted to rebuild the third temple or to build the third temple i think he offered to pay for the cornerstone to be carved and built uh, you know, as, you know, people have varying views on whether they thought that was a, a, a good gesture or not, again, based on the idea of, is this a good thing or a bad thing? But so uh, he was so interested in seeing biblical prophecy fulfilled that he was willing to do that from what I understand. I, I could be wrong about that, but I'd, I'd heard that more than once. Um, so uh, anyway, so that's sort of the mixed tension that we live in. We don't, Relish at the idea of what that will bring. We, we, when the Antichrist comes, while it will seemingly be a time of peace for a little bit, ultimately it's going to usher in the worst period of time in the world's history. But ultimately, especially even Israel's history, in many ways, it's going to make the Holocaust pale by comparison. Uh, and so, uh, so anyway, so there you go. It's a, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Well, you know, hopefully that answer. Uh, you know, is reasonably sufficient, uh, but as always, with the hope that it gives us something to think about. So, thanks, Curtis, for asking that question. I always look forward to a chance to talk about these things, so I love when questions like this come up. And, uh, Father, we thank you for the purposes and plans that you're working out and uh, the place that things like the temple and uh, that will be built and all that will happen in it indicate for us. And, and um, we do pray that, uh, well, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for Uh, Many uh, in Israel to come to faith before those days come that they might be caught up when Jesus comes for his bride Uh, But Father for those who are around during that time we know already from the book of Revelation how this is going to play out and uh, What that's going to be like and so we pray in advance for those during that time that you would give them fortitude uh, Those who will resist the Antichrist and and reject um, that false Christ and such Uh, Father preserve and protect them even as in your word we see that so many will perish but you will bring a remnant through and so father we love you and praise you and we just ask that um, father you would work in such a way as to um, just prepare the hearts of of all of those who will come to faith during that time we love you and praise you and thank you for illuminating to us the scripture and helping us to understand the things that are coming and uh, we are very grateful for all that you've told us help us to take heed to those things and see them as our cue to be about your business in the days that we're living in as we come up to those days so father we love you and praise you and most of all we so look forward to Jesus coming both in sweeping away his bride off of her feet and snatching us in the rapture but also in terms of his second coming to establish righteousness in the earth Uh, father we are so looking forward to you fulfilling your purposes and plans so we love you we praise you we bless you and um, we just thank you for this again and all the insights that you've shared with us in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. As always, if you have a question, a comment, anything you'd like to ask about or, or see us discuss, I uh, always love to see your comments and questions in the comments section on our YouTube channel. Uh, you can leave that under the under the posts or if you wanna email me at info at calvarychapelfranklin.com, you can also do that as well. So thanks again, I appreciate the opportunity and look forward to catching up with you again next time. Until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you Make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace forever.